What up, what up? Welcome to another episode of Green with Envy. This is your boy Greg Menakis checking in from sunny Clearwater, Florida. Uh, for fear of waking up my two-year-old and four-year-old nephews who finally fell asleep after a day filled with the normal or maybe not so normal peaks and valleys of dealing with toddlers, um, I'm actually recording this in my bedroom right now. I got my girlfriend, Danielle, sitting right next to me. Shout out, Danielle. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to you know, kind of keep this brief. Um, on this episode, you are going to hear a conversation between my co-host, Will Weir, and our podcasting cousin, Adam Taylor. Uh, they spend some time catching up on life after Adam's journey to Boston last month, and then they dive deep into the Celtics' victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. Really good conversation. They end up touching on uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and whether they would actually be a harder playoff opponent for the Celtics than the Sixers. Um, and then they also give some thoughts on the end-of-game lineups and you know all stuff that Celtics Nation is constantly talking about as we look forward to how this team can improve um, with only 21 games left here in the regular season. All right, with that, I'm going to send this over to the conversation between Will and Adam, and Will and I will be back with you later this week. Peace, everybody. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Vitamin C's with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. Wayne and Tim both can't be here today. They're off doing their thing. So I'm joined by one of my good friends, somebody that flew all the way from Texas to chill with me when I was in Boston last month. My original homie, co-host, compadre, partner in crime. I've done it backwards, but who cares? Mr. Will Weir, what's popping, brother? It's been a hot minute, man. Like I said, like he said to me last time we saw each other, it's like podcasting, but with legs. And now I'm sad because you ain't got the legs. Hey, man, but I know they're there now. I know they're there we, now. We so know that's they a big, exist, You know, right? it's a confirmation. I know that you have them. I'm feeling good about it, man. But it's uh, it's good to see you. You know, we got, you know, do a little crossover episode. Kind of kind of appropriate, right? Celtics take out the Sixers. Philadelphia legend, Allen Iverson, known for the crossover. We hit it with the crossover right after without our guys, Greg, Tim, and Wayne. But, yo, I'm happy to see you, man. It's great to chop it up with you today. Yo, it's been a hot minute, dude. So I've spoke to you once since I got back. One thing I'm going to say is now we know that each other have legs. I just want to look directly into <laughs> yeah. the camera for when Greg watches this and say, I am not catfishing you. I am tall. <laughs> um, you know, I'm quite a wide dude. But no, man, it's been good, man. I, it's, I miss chopping it up with you yeah. like multiple times a week. Like That's probably been the biggest transition for me since moving to this show is like, I miss you guys, dude, man. How, how are you living? How, how's things going, man? Things are good, man. You know, I've had a had a good weekend recording this here on a Sunday. I've had um, my cousin, my cousin Jess, her husband Tony, were in town for the weekend. So I'm I'm fat and plump, man. We've been we've been eating yes. our way through the city of Austin. So we've been we've been living it up, eating all the good food, doing all the things you do. You know, when you got like family or friends that come to visit and you want to show off your city, you want to you know make sure they're doing like a, a country a cross country road trip right now. So they tricked out this Sprinter van so that they have like you know a fridge. They got a bathroom in there. They got like they can turn it into a bed. It was funny. They were gonna sleep in the van, and I was like, you know, I got a guest room, right? And they were like, I don't know. We don't want to impose. They're just like being overly nice, basically. And they have this like tricked out sprinter van, so they want to use it. But they came in and they saw we had like an actual setup for the guest room. It was a very quick pivot to them actually using <laughs> the guest room versus sleeping in the street within the van. So, um, you know, things are good, man. It's been uh, it's been a great weekend. And on top of that, you got the Celtics where they're at. You know, and we're gonna get into that but but how are you man what's what's been good with you since you got back across the pond yeah man like uh i tell you what it's it's taken a while to kind of get myself back on that hunger grind like you know when like you know when you're shooting for a goal and it just seems so unattainable so you Mm -hmm. work your butt off every day because you're like man the only way i'm ever going to hit this goal is to outwork everyone around me right and then you finally hit it and then you're like Oh shit, I never planned for what next. Yeah. You know, and this has happened to me a few times. It's not, I'm not in new territory, but like the goal was the the recent goal. I mean, no one can see this. Let me see if I can turn my camera. I have a vision board up here, you see? So like you can see like there's a money tree, some health goals, but then you've got the TD garden. You've Mm -hmm. got, uh, you've got the plane. YouTube, the Twitter goals, everything. Yeah. So like a couple of those goals, like the plane, 
TD Garden, like all that stuff for me was like, you know, I want to, I want to get there. I want to do that as media. So I hit that in January, dude. So then I'm like, damn, that was my main goal for 2023. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of checked off <laughs> month one. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's been an adjustment, just trying to, to find that motivation, figure out what I'm going to use as fuel. I've got some new ink. It didn't turn out the way I wanted. Like a, something I've got to go and have to touch get? So you know how I got the Ninja Turtles on the arm, right? Which, by the way, for those those of you that don't know, you, you should you should post this on your either Instagram or, or Twitter later. My guy's got some fire Ninja Turtles artwork on his body. So what I went for next was each of the Ninja Turtles weapons with a paint okay. splat behind them, like denoting which turtle it was just by the color scheme, right? So I ended up getting like there's the Raphael one there. Oh, okay. Um, you can see. Uh, I don't know if you can see it there, but like, is this the Leonardo one I'm looking yeah. at right now? I think, yeah. Then you got the Donny one. Yep. And then you got like the the one I weren't too pleased with is kind of just here. It's the Donatello one, yeah. yeah. But like the ink fell out a little bit because they were big tattoos, man. Like in terms yeah. of hours, I had them all done in one. It's a, a lot of work to do, yeah. So like some of the ink fell out, so I need to get that redone. But uh, since the last time I saw you in person, that's probably the only two major things, you know. Like it's been a month. Hey man, well, I think the one thing when it comes to like, you know, just like reassessing goals, that's what, that's something we all go through, right? When you're, because goals change or sometimes you hit them and then you got to figure out like what's next, you know, for you, I think about like, you know, the next thing is how does this become more regular, right? Like you've done it once, but once just wasn't the goal. The goal is kind of, I mean, it's part of the goal for sure. It's a, it's a part of the, the process, but it then becomes how does this become a regular part of my coverage in what I do? You know, yeah. and the where hard it's making that. trips back and forth or making extended trips, or eventually, I know, you know, from our conversations, you know, privately and publicly, that, you know, eventually doing this full time potentially in America is also, you know, like part of, of, of that process oh, for sure. down the line. So I think that's, you know, it's, it's definitely part of the goal, but now it just becomes, all right, well, what might have been a 2024 goal? is now maybe, hey, 2023, how do I get back over for the playoffs or for, you know, opening of next season? Because that's going to fall in this calendar year as well, right? So there yeah. becomes other milestones that you can build on top of that. So I think, you know, it's it's almost just a repurposing of your mind and way. where your goals are. But but still yeah. all applies, man. And so, you know, forward progress, that's always the goal. A little bit more each day, a little bit closer to that goal each and every day. I think the hard part's making sure you fit it in with the fam, right? Like making sure the fam are good while you're away. And, you know, it's a, it's definitely, if I'd done this in my 20s, it would have been far easier than doing it in my 30s. But, you know, you don't know the world at 20, 25. You're still young. You don't really I mean, shout out to those people that know what they're doing at that time. I sure Yo, didn't. I'm still I'm know any and I'm still figuring it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just hit 35. So, like, I was drinking a beer earlier, and I always, like, I sometimes used a tankard that I got, like, just a big-ass glass. What's a tankard? So it's like a big glass with like a handle and a fat bottom. Okay, so like a like, like a pint glass, like a big old pint, like a stein almost. Yeah, like it's more like a German beer glass. Yeah, you know? that's what I'm thinking German, of. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So one of them, but I got it for my 18th birthday, and it's engraved, and it's like a 2010. 2005 when i turned 18 and i'm like shit bro every time i break this glass out i just feel old as hell man because i'm like yo that's almost 18 years ago i'm like shit dude i've been 18 for like i've been up past 18 for almost as long as it took me to get to 18 so that's wild but talking about 18 there's a team chasing something with a number 18 in there that's the 18th banner baby Uh, celtics played the Sixers on saturday night in I've got to say, it was one of my favorite games of the season for the Celtics. Like, it had physicality, it had competitiveness, it had a little bit of, uh, I didn't, like, it was negative fan interaction, but the fans were involved in, mm-hmm. in, in the proceedings. And, you know, we'll speak about the negativity coming from the Philly fans. I know JB addressed it. Marcus Smart had that, that altercation as well. But it's nice to see, like, it's nice to, see that type of atmosphere at this time of the year, start giving you that preparation for the postseason. You know, we had a bad Tatum game. The Celtics still find a way to win. Um, Robert Williams hit a mid-range shot, which was (laughs) personally for me, was kind of like the highlight of the entire week. Like, yo, my Robert Williams hitting mid-range. Okay, I I can get in on this, man. So I don't know where you want to start with this, but we definitely need to talk about some stuff. 
I mean, just in general, like you said, this is one of the best games of the year because this is this is how you know you're getting to that home stretch and the playoffs are just around the corner. Like I, I don't I still don't know why Greg and I had talked about this on our on our last episode. I don't know why the NBA sets it up so that really the all-star game in that all-star break is three almost three quarters of the way through the season. So we're we're at almost less than 20 games left. I think there's 21 games left in the season for the Celtics. This is a sprint to the finish. Like this is not, hey, we're gearing up and we're, you know slowly getting our, our stuff together here in the second half. Now, this is the home stretch, man. This That game last night, or on, on Saturday night, Celtic Sixers, that right there, that clinched any tiebreaker that might happen down the stretch for the Celtics. They're now 3-0 and against the Sixers. That's what led to that being such a meaningful, high-intensity game. And, you know, like you said, I, I think probably the, the place to start is, is is with Jason Tatum. At least I think that's a good place to start. It doesn't have to be, maybe not the best, but it's, it's a good place to start because he was let's just say he's poor for the first three quarters of that game, but the resolve, the depth, you know, uh, seeing this, you know, Jason said this in his post game interview on ESPN, that was a team win. That was the definition of a team win. And you saw on the other side, you know, kind of juxtaposed, you have Joel Embiid who both him and Tatum are MVP candidates. Embiid was the more MVP like player for the majority of that game. But then Tatum, he he had that 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 next level that's something else that he knows where he is in the hierarchy of the NBA and so he still kept pushing through st- still kept making the right plays despite having some struggles you know had double digit rebounds had six assists in the game and then was still you know like he told Grant Williams coming out of the timeout game time he knew what he was doing with that last play they run that Brad Stevens you know ATO come in he hits the big shot to win the game and so you know i think it speaks to what this team can do when they have their superstar, their top five MVP MVP candidate who can have a bad three quarters still knows what needs to get done in the crunch time and in fourth quarter and the depth that you have to be able to sustain and be able to play at a level with a Philly team that has been rolling as of lately. And now you have two wins in the last couple of weeks that really, you know, that really kind of speaks to that Joel Embiid quote that always goes around. This isn't really a rivalry. They kick our ass every time. Every time you look up at that scoreboard at the end of the game, Celtics seem to be beating these Sixers despite all the other teams the Sixers have been rolling through. Yeah, and I think that part of that is a mental aspect, right? Like, it, it's got to be at this point. There's I, no well, doubt. You, you mentioned a juxtaposition as well, and I kind of want to push on that a little bit more and be like, it wasn't just a juxtaposition in Embiid's dominance versus Tatum's struggles. It's a completely different style of play between the two teams. So the Celtics allow Tatum to do what he does within the flow of the offense. Everything is egalitarian. Everybody gets their touches. Everybody eats in that paid-in-full quote that I love so much from my boy Ace Boogie. Everybody eats. Over in Philly, things are a little bit different, you know? So what you'd see is there was a lot of force feeding Embiid, and then especially early in the first Midway through the second, they went back to it a bit. They'd feed Embiid, and then they'd have one of their other scoring threats, usually Tobias Harris, make a delayed cut. So they'd feed Embiid. You'd probably count to, like, seven or eight, and you'd, like, start watch in seconds, and then all of a sudden, or, like, milliseconds, then Tobias Harris is cutting. And the reason he's doing that is to start pulling guys away from the nails so there's no helper to stunt on Embiid. And now Embiid can just face you up or back you down or do whatever he needs to do with his MVP-like skill set. And they feature him heavily. And I think that was a noticeable difference in like Embiid is phenomenal. Like, I'm not going to take anything away from him. Um, I think he's definitely one of the best players in the league. If he could stay healthy, like long term, you'd probably be talking about him as the best player in the league. I think if he'd been healthy for most of his career, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care about those conversations. But still, my point is that Philly generally, even James Harden takes a backseat to Embiid. We feed Embiid, and then what we what we do then is we we what's the word I'm looking for? We rotate around him. Mm-hmm. We you know it's very heliocentric. Everything happens off of Embiid. Whereas with Tatum, everything happens through the team and through the system. And when you mention juxtaposition, there's definitely their performances stand out. But the style of plays and how te- how both teams look to incorporate their star is what really stood out to me. And we've seen it before, but I felt like this game was far more enunciated in terms mm-hmm. of the differences than what they have been in the other two games. Yeah. And and I think this game, in much like 
similarly in, in a different sense because the Celtics were missing so many guys the last time that they played the Sixers, but it just speaks to the, to the, to the team to the team aspect of it all, right? Because we can go look at that Sixers team, and yeah, you have Joel Embiid. Yes, you have James Harden. Even when he's not shooting the ball, he's one of the best passers in the NBA, so he's going to find a way to impact the game. Then you look outside of that. You got, you know, Tobias Harris, every once in a while, will have a quick stretch where he feels, you know, really impactful, and he's your fourth guy. That's kind of, you know, that and some steady defense is kind of what you're looking for, so that's okay. But then you look at, you know, like Tyrese Maxey to me last night. He's a guy that I really personally like. I felt like he had almost zero footprint on that game the other night like I just did not feel his presence and to me that's actually when I think Philly's the most dangerous is when you feel like I don't know what to do when Embiid is backing somebody down in the post kind of plotting and then you throw this curveball of Tyrese Maxey shot out like a cannonball getting up and down the court for you know what could be a quick 6-8-9-0 run that Maxey can do all by himself and the Celtics were kind of able to negate that and then when you look at their side and the way that their team is positioned and, you know, you've got eight of the said it was an off night for Tatum, but you've got, you know, 15 points from Al Horford, who came out in the second half and was shooting the club up like Stojakovic out there, knocking down four threes in the third, added another one in the fifth. You've got Robert Williams with 14 points. Jalen Brown, obviously 26. You're expecting that out of him. You know, then you have another 10 points from Marcus Smart. And then the guy that's just been on, you know, in fuego for the last month plus, Derek White, has another brilliant game. And he's someone I think we should talk about for a little bit here, too. He's got 18 points. And that's not even getting, you know, a ton of just offensive scoring production out of Grant Williams or Malcolm Brogdon, but those guys combined for 12 rebounds, good defense. And so you have just a lot more depth to the Celtics team. And for me, long-term, when I'm looking at Sixers versus Celtics specifically, I think that to me is where there's the biggest difference between these two teams is the Celtics are just more well-rounded. They have better depth. They have better ways to be able to frustrate, even if they don't entirely stop or shut down the best players in the Sixers, they have more answers than the Sixers do for the Celtics. And so I think when I look at last night, I look at the way that the season series thus far has played out and the history, like we talked about that mental aspect. You know, Philly's becoming more and more a team that I'm less and less worried about, despite how well they play outside of games against Boston. It's a team I'm becoming less and less worried about as we, as long as every, you know, with health, you know, in reasonable consideration. It's a team I'm becoming less and less scared of as we get to the playoffs. It, it is tough, right? Because when you came into the start of the season, they were like, you know, they'd gone out, they'd added PJ Tucker. They added Tyrese Max. No, not Tyrese Max. They added the Anthony Melton. Yep. Another year worked out well, by the way. That was your he has worked He's, he's worked well. out very well. My boy, I wanted Boston to get him. Another year of development for Maxi. Uh, you know, they've got they've had the offseason with Harden and everything. And it did feel like, man, Philly are in a position where they could make a run. But as you said, I'm not scared anymore. I don't like, I, I don't fear them. And I understand, look, this is a deep team. They've got a championship caliber coach in Doc. But to be honest with you, I think the Modern gen like modern basketball in 2023 is not Doc Rivers' strong suit. I think that coaches have evolved, they've become more created offensively, they've become more in tune with defense. And I just think that some of the adjustments that the league has made feel like they've passed Doc Rivers by. And that might feel like blasphemy considering, you know, he helped the Celtics win a championship in 2008, but the league didn't take its shift to this more creative, high-octane, free-in-the offense until like 2015, 16, that, around about that time. Mm -hmm. And I do, I feel like, you know, I, I genuinely feel like maybe Dark Rivers won't win another championship and maybe this is his best opportunity, but it felt like his time with the Clippers could have been an opportunity. Like, you know, there's been time. I mean, notoriously he's blown multiple three, one leads since leaving yeah. the Celtics. That's, that's a big part of his reputation and he's a player's coach. You know, I think of him not necessarily as, you know, in, in the realm of a, of a Spolstra, a nurse, you know, even, yeah. you know, it, you know, I, I think of him as more, Hey, we have a lot of large personalities. We have Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Rayshon Rondo, Kendrick Perkins, and Ray Allen somewhere trying to be quiet, but we need him to be, you know, a part of this team. We have Blake Griffin at his peak with DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and JJ Reddick. You know, now we have Joel Embiid and James Harden, and he's someone that can, can certainly mesh those personalities to get a lot out of them. 
But it feels like, you know, obviously when you go back to his Celtics days, you look at, you know, he had Tibbs as his right-hand man. And we've seen Tibbs be successful on his own. You know, not necessarily he hasn't got to the championship point yet, but we've seen him be very successful with Chicago and what he's doing in New York right now where they're a team that's on their way up. And Celtics play them Monday night as this podcast is released. They'll play them Monday and again later on the weekend. So those are going to be two really fun games to look at. And so, you know, you, you see that those the assistance that he's had in the past that have really kind of helped to elevate him. And so maybe it is fair, fair to say, but I think his reputation at this point, you know, especially since leaving the Celtics has kind of been, he's going to get you to a point where you're, you're, you have a very high floor, but what you're ceiling sometimes is where the question is. And when you look at, when you say players coach back in the late two thousands, like early teens, Players coach was that, and you manage the personalities. But now you look at who's considered a players coach, Steve Kerr, Toy Lu, um, to a lesser extent, Monty Williams. Mm-hmm. All three of them are also really savvy with their X's and O's. They have really defined systems that players kind of play within and, you know, they thrive within. But their players coaches, you talk about the biggest players coach in the league right now, it's Toy Lu, but he's also one of the best ATO guys he, he's always got a good offensive scheme, a good defensive scheme. When the Clippers were missing everyone last year, they still made a push down the stretch. Like, So I do think that, you know, maybe Doc Rivers' time as like a leading head coach in the league has gone. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But when you've got a, a Joanne Embiid in his prime, a slightly past his prime, but an amazing playmaking version of James Harden that's leading the lead in assists per games, Maybe you just need that little bit more creativity. Right now, as a Celtics fan, with one of the most creative young coaches in the league, I'm sitting here chilling. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I feel really good about how do you I feel really good about this matchup. Should this come up in the playoffs? How would you feel if the Celtics and Sixers matched up in a seven game series? I see it going I see it going what's that, six games. I mean, I think this is I this is one of the series that I, I at this point now it's hard for me not to look at it. And, you know, if I'm really feeling chesty, it's a five-game series. Oh, coming with that It's a little bit of spice, but I was thinking about this as I was watching the game. And, you know, and, and obviously, so I, I caught the game. I caught the end of the game last night. I rewatched it this morning while I was having some coffee. And so I, I'm a, it's a little bit I know what's building up here, right? I knew what was, was going to happen. Which, by the way, we haven't even mentioned that Joel Embiid, you know, three-quarter shot right after Tatum's buzzer, uh, you know, Tatum hitting the shot with 1.8 left. That was insanity. My my whole family was was here who doesn't watch basketball. They were just appeasing me by letting me put it on TV. And everyone shouted. Even Taco, my dog, stopped and was like, what's happening? You know, everyone freaked out after that. That was a pretty, uh, pretty insane moment. But, you know, I was thinking with this matchup, like it, it's just hard for me, given the mental history, given, you know, everything we've seen play out this season, that I just don't think this is a team that is going to have enough for a lot of the reasons that we've kind of already gone over, have enough to really get by the Celtics. I just think we have more answers than they do both offensively and defensively than they do for us. And so, you know, Greg and I were talking the other day, I think they're probably third on the list of teams that actually worry me in the Eastern conference. And that feels a little ridiculous sometimes because they have a guy like Joel Embiid, but it, you know, if history tells us anything, like I, maybe I'm not crazy for saying that I think this is a, a I don't want to say it's an easy five games. I think it's a very close five game series, but I still think it's probably about a five game series should they meet in the playoffs. See, I think Joel and B gets you one, right? So that's, that's where I'm at that, with five. That, yeah. That's your gentleman sweep. But I think that the ta- like, I think there's a world where the Celtics have a bad defensive get- night and they mm-hmm. struggle. Con- and Philadelphia realized that the whole point of having Embiid and Harden on the floor is to run Embiid hard and pick and rolls, yeah. especially side pick and rolls where it's just going to make things harder. I think there's a world where Philly figured it out for a game before Boston goes back, watches the film adjusts and kind of nullifies that. And for that reason, I've got it in six just because yeah. I'm like, you know, I think that the Celtics have a deeper coaching staff. I think they're a completely deeper team, more diverse defensively, more diverse offensively. But that doesn't mean you don't drop a game before you go back and learn from the film, right? So I think Embiid being Embiid is going to get you one. And then I think figuring out a way to be effective with Embiid and Harden against the Celtics defense is going to get you two, one more. But Mm -hmm. then the Celtics figure it out and sweep, well, finish the game in six. But I don't see that series going to seven is what I think we both agree there. Like that's a stretch, right? 
I think that would that would be. I mean, here's the thing: the playoffs are a different beast, so it all depends when this match, when this theoretical matchup happens, whether it's the second round, third round. Because I look at you know the the Miami series in the Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics. You know that series went seven. They were a Jimmy Butler three pointer away from never even making the finals last year. But I feel like that really shouldn't have been a seven game series. It will go down in the record books as being one. And like I said, we were three points away. But that felt like a, a series that the Celtics hopefully when we get to this postseason have learned from you got to take care of your business you got to lock it down and if you can in five or six games so that you're not expending that energy because i think it really hurt them by the time they got to golden state and you saw them you know worn down for a bunch of reasons but part of that was the extension of that miami series and the so milwaukee series and the milwaukee series, but that one i feel like was 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 destined to go seven because yeah, that it was, was like a seven game series into a seven game series for sure into the finals against the goddamn Golden State Warriors. And that's where I'm saying against Miami, when you look at a couple of those games where there was either leads that were blown or they didn't, you know, finish down the stretch, you know, they weren't able to execute. And it's like, man, if we could have just taken care of our business in a few of these games and got out in five or six, yeah. you have that little extra rest. Cause I think Milwaukee with seven games, I think that was unavoidable. Miami, I think, was avoidable going to seven games. is kind of my difference for the two. Now, and, but and, and that's the point that I'm trying to make with Philly here is that depending on when you catch them, whether it's the second round or third round, if you've gone through, you know, a, a grueling seven game series, you're banged up. Of course, that changes things a little bit. But you know, in, in a world and at least the way that the standings are playing out, it looks like if the Celtics were to catch the Sixers, it, it would be maybe in that second round in a one four matchup, or it wouldn't be if they end up getting that three seed where they're at right now. Would really be until um well depending i mean celtics are right there with the bucks so so they could end up in that two seed just as easy so it's going to be either that second or third round so depending on you know what you're coming off of that could change things but i i, I think the way things are right now I, I think we're totally in agreement here five or six game series sixers are not the team that scares me the most i mean i think that's easily the bucks but i think the Cavs actually probably scare me a little bit more than philly does but that might just be a little bit of the unknown yeah so i've been scouting the Cavs. i'm not even gonna lie yeah, tell me. Um, I mean, I said like I, th- I think that my biggest concern, and I said this on a, um, an episode last week actually, was my biggest concern is the way they utilize Evan Mobley, right? Yeah, and the way they put him in the corner when they're playing offense. So now all of a sudden they take. So what happens is you put one of your most impactful big men defenders, which is usually Al Horford, and you put him on Mobley, and now the Cavs are going to put Mobley in the corner and ask Mobley to stretch the floor or they'll run some flex offense to get him coming into the post or whatever it may be. But he starts out in a half-court offense in the corner um, quite frequently. And all of a sudden, your defense is just stretched apart. And then Donovan Mitchell just gets a nice little back screen or a side or a pick and roll or whatever. And there's no king like key rim protector down there. Now, I think Boston have the ability to kind of counteract that with Robert Williams in the dual mm-hmm. big lineup. But the downside is they also have Jarrett Allen, and they run dual big lineups a lot of the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that one little caveat, little, little, little bit of Spider-Man meme right there with the two front cords. Yeah. But that one little caveat of having Mobley go out into the corner just changes the the composition of your defense, right? Because you have to account for him. He's got too much height to reliably expect a Marcus Smart or a Brogdon to guard him because he's just going to shoot over you and he is a value, like he's a viable three-point scoring big man. So you really want to keep a big on him to be physical, to stay in his shooting space, to kind of deter that shot. But then you're taking one of your rim protectors away and they've still got Jarrett Allen that's a vertical threat. And now it's just who jumps higher this time versus Robin J.A. And it's just tough, right? And I think that Cleveland are built more in in the way to give Boston problems because of the little caveats, like having Mo put being, having the option to put Mobley in the corner, running horn sets with two big men, one that can pop with like doing a lot of stuff that Boston do, right? Yeah. They, they can put Horford and Rob in a horn set, Rob rolls, Horford pops. So can Cleveland. Like there's just so many like similarities between the two teams. I, but the only thing is I just think Boston's that bit more experienced. They've got that bit more high end talent. I think yeah, both teams the depth are deep. Yeah, I, I don't see. I don't know the if level, I, right? Yeah, at the high end, Cleveland's deep because their 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 top four can match up with any four in the league, right? Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? That's that, it's that. that's where it is. It's that next level down. 
that I don't think they have. And that's a little bit in the, you know, in the Philly Boston sense where I just listed, you know, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, all these guys that you are adding into addition to your stars, to your defensive player of the year, to your two all NBA guys. And so that's where I think there's, there's a little bit of difference. And you mentioned, you know, the experience, I think the part for, you know, you covered most of the reasons why I think Cleveland is, it's, it's just a matchup thing more than yeah, anything it's, else. There's just so much more, like, like you said, it's that Spider-Man meme, but it's not just mm-hmm. the, t- the players, it's the, the design of the roster is so similar. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, that this could bleed into what you wanted to speak about with Derek White and, to another extent, Malcolm Brogdon, yeah. is that secondary depth, that second-tier depth with Grant Williams thrown into that discussion as well. Um, you know, you could have Muscala in there. If you need more three-point shooting, you can add, keep Allen in there. Whatever you want to do, right? That second-tier depth is just so much more experienced, so much more veteran-savvy, and uh, bluntly, so much more talented yeah. than what Cleveland's second-tier depth is. That's where the advantage comes. But does that get you out of a series in five games, six games, seven games? How much more valuable is that depth as teams start to get yeah. so much film on you and so much familiarity of what you're doing? So I think with Cleveland, the the one, and then Greg and I had talked about this, the the unknown part with them, number one, a little bit of the experience, but we know Donovan Mitchell is a big time playoff production player. Like we know, yeah, we we know that he's not going to be afraid to say, oh, Jalen, you're going off tonight. Bet. Let's match. You know, same to Jason Tatum. He's going to say, all right, you want to do a 40 for 40 club? Let's go hit Jay-Z. Let's do the 40 40 club tonight. Let's let's go. I'll, I'll match you with that. The, the part that is is kind of the mystery of the Cavaliers is, does Evan Mobley just make that leap? Greg and I talked about this in the yeah. last episode. Is, is this when Mobley just decides, oh, hey, I'm going to tell the world this is my moment that I'm making the leap? Maybe it's not till next year. Who knows? But that's the thing. You don't know, right? You don't know until you know. And so if that's that moment, and the Celtics get, you know, a little bit banged up and it cuts into that, you know, the disparity and the depth, all of a sudden you may have yourself a very different situation. So that's where I think it gets a, a little bit interesting with the Cavs. But the pivot to, you know, you, you brought up the Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, the the depth there. You know, early on here in the second half of the season, we're only two games in as we're recording here. We had the OT win against the, the Pacers and the buzzer beater here against the Sixers that we've been talking about. And I think the interesting part is that we've gotten a little bit of a glimmer into what, you know, Joe Missoula's mind is going to look like when it comes to rotations and minute distribution with everybody healthy. Because it's been very rare. The Celtics are blessed to have so many insurance policies from Muscala to Blake Griffin to Peyton Pritchard. But it's been very rare that we've had just what we presume to be the core playoff group together. And so now we've gotten that in kind of back-to-back games. And I think it's really interesting to look at what that minute distribution is going to be for Joe Missoula. And I think the first place I want to start is, is looking at that 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 three-guard lineup, right? Or not necessarily, not necessarily the lineup, but the three guards, the, the Marcus Smart, um, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon. You know, looking at the three of them and how those minutes break down and looking at that Philly game, you know, you get 20 minutes out of Brogdon, you get 25 out of Derek White, and you get about 20, just under 27 minutes with Marcus Smart. And I I think depending on the game, this is where I'm going to be really interested to see if Missoula plays a little bit of the feel it out type game with them, where they're all going to be somewhere in that 20 to 28 minute range playing wise, minutes wise. But who yeah. closes? Because I think I think between the three of them, I think it has to be variable. Like I don't think it's a guarantee. I think there's three guys in my mind that close every single game for the Celtics, no matter what. That's the Jays and Al Horford. I think those other two spots are very matchup dependent and depending on what the flow of the game is, who's having the better game. And I feel like I, I don't think it's going to be an issue, but I want to watch how Joe Missoula handles that down the stretch of the season. I mean, the one thing with Smart's minutes from that game against Philly was obviously he got in foul trouble. For sure. Um, yeah, I think that was in the third, right? It was, it yeah, he had that kind of BS foul call against yeah. him. And I it don't was think, what I it was. Defense, but like you but say, that, that's where the variable comes in, right? Right. Smart was in foul trouble. Derek, you're going to play a few extra minutes tonight because we think you're playing better. Like You've got the better matchup than what Brogdon does. So you're going to get the extra minutes tonight. Coming against New York, maybe it's Brogdon. Brogdon's got the advantage. So we're going to give it to Brogdon. And they are very different players. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, but I do see Derek White doing things now after a, like, you know, two thirds of a season playing alongside Brogdon that I didn't really see him doing at the start of the season. Like the, the Celtics, you know, the Celtics run a bunch of Spain actions where you have the side ball screen into the back screen. Derek White used to pass out of those. He used to drive in and kick the popper. 
Malcolm Brogdon is is like literally just rejects that first ball screen and just drives, you know, because there's a lane there because the back screen is dragging. That that's how Derek White got a bunch of buckets against the Sixers. Like I feel like they're learning off of each other as well, right? And De- Derek's White game's development and his ability to score off penetration, I think, is courtesy of being around Malcolm Brogdon and seeing how he kind of attacks out of those situations. And that's what's meant to happen, right? Um, Iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens shit, whatever it may be. But I do agree with you where defensively there's different upsides, different downsides to these guys. Game management in terms of who's who's got the calmer hand. Marcus Smart can sometimes be emotional. Maybe that's valuable in this spot, but in this spot it's a negative. So we're going to go with Derek White that's just got the coolest poker face in the world. Maybe we need someone to start talking politics. We're going to bring in Obama for a set here or there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it is what it is, right? And I, I completely agree. I think but that depth is a luxury. And if all else fails, if Smart's having a stinker, Derek White's being guarded out of the game, Brogdon's kind of having to shoulder too much, hey, we're just going to throw Peyton Pritchard in there as a two-guard because we know he can play that position. He can space the floor for you. Now we're just going to start doing some other actions there. The depth is just ridiculous, man. Yeah, I, I love that you gave a shout out to our guy Peyton Pritchard in there. I don't know if he's going to be as much a part of of that late game equation, oh, but it does speak to the point. It, it doesn't, but but it, but it speaks to the point of the luxury. But but I, I want to get your your take on this. Do you agree with my point that when we get to these big games, there's three guys that no matter what are in that closing five, and those other two spots are variable. Yeah, I think that. I think there's there's no denying that. I would say that Al Horford could be variable at times as okay. well, just because depends if a team's playing with more pace. Maybe you favor Rob there than Al, right? I'm just more accounting for it. In, in the postseason, the game tends to slow down, slow down. especially it's a bit more especially hardcore. in the last four to five minutes of a yeah. of a close game. But, and, but in the but sometimes it can sometimes it can go the other way and it turns a little bit frantic, especially in the earlier rounds. Do you know what I mean? And like for you sure. know, if it's a, if it's a game six and you know, it's a win or go home situation for one team and it's a four point game. No one's slowing that down. They're speeding it up because mm-hmm. they want the possessions, right? And that's where Rob Williams could pay more dividends. But I do agree for the most part, Jalen, mm-hmm. Jason, Al, those three are your core closers. Then you can choose between Rob and Grant. I, I think those two are your primary two discussions at the, the other big man spot. Um, Personally, I wouldn't want to see Muscala or Cornette closing yeah. there. Nor would I Blake Griffin. But Blake Griffin is a vibe. So, you know, if he's closing, <laughs> it means something's going well. I'm down. Um, and then on your guard spot, you know, like you said, it could be Marcus. It could be Malcolm. And I, I think, that, and I think there's a chance it could be two out of those three guards, and they even depend. They move on, up, on yeah, the they go big, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. But then you have Al at the five, and Tatum's the you know the the nominal the four. four. Yeah, yeah, I get that, and I think that works as well because then you can have smart. If that's the case, it's going to be smart and white, in my opinion, just for the defense and offense. Mm-hmm. I think Brogdon's a very respectable defender, but he's definitely a level or a level and a half below. Derek White on defense. I mean, I think I've been beating the drum on on our show with with, with me and Greg over agreeing with Envy that I, I think Derek White should be all defense this year. I, I think Derek yeah. White has been, you know, especially when you factor in he doesn't miss games. When you factor in that, I think for the Celtics, I think he's their best all defensive candidate. Now, obviously, Rob has missed I think probably too much time. Same with Marcus; he's missed a, a lot of time. He still will. Pro- he still will will garner obviously consideration getting on that team coming off a defensive player of the year. But I think I think there's a case, and maybe I'm just head. Uh, maybe I'm too head over heels for Derek White. I have fallen. <laughs> I have fallen madly in love with Derek White. I have I been giving him. I've been giving him flowers each and every show like it's Valentine's Day because I just can't get enough of this guy. And so I, I do. Th- there's a case where because of his availability and just generally the way he's played, he's been the, I'm going to say right now, he's been the Celtics third most important player this year behind the Jays. You wouldn't want an all team first defense though, right? Cause like you got, I mean, I haven't really sat down and thought about, you know, the, the number of spots and what that looks like. So I, I've just been, I, I'll, I'll do that as it gets closer to okay, the end fair. of the season. But I do think he deserves to be right in that mix for, for, for all defense, whether it's first or second team. I haven't really thought enough about that yet. No, that's fair. I, I, I mean, I don't have an argument against it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, I, I tend to, well, everybody knows I focus more on the, uh, the, the what's happening when who set what screen mm-hmm. more than awards. But like, if I was to sit down and think about it, that I couldn't rationalize myself out of Derek White deserving an all defensive position. Yeah. 
You know, yeah, I mean, and that's it's, probably it's the definitely... best argument I could give you right now is I don't have one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, he's in that mix for sure. I think. I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of obviously, it's all defense is really tough. That's a, that, that's one of the tougher yeah. teams to really break down because there's only two of them, and then you got to get you know really into like kind of the nitty gritty of it. And there's I think no the Celtics, like counting stats that you like. You know, yeah, if you're a little bit of eye test, and then a handful. Yeah. You know, of course, he's gonna he's been getting the love all year that you know him and Shade are are the two best guards at you know blocking shots. Um, you know, in Behind, the league, like so Chase blocks as well. That's exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, th- okay, block. that's the other thing. Derek White's athleticism. I mean, he had that play last night where he didn't get the the call, but he went up and you know, MB challenged him at the rim, and I think Tatum got got the putback. I've seen we've seen Derek White, you know, explore his athleticism a lot more this year. Whether it's the chase down block, like you said, or or just not being afraid to to try to dunk it sometimes in the lane or on the break going up against people, and that's been something I don't really remember in the you know in the in the half season plus playoffs that we had with Derek white last year feels like that wasn't something that we got a ton of. And, and I can't speak to, you know, his San Antonio career enough that, that I was like, Oh, that was just something he just didn't bring or he wasn't doing, but it, it definitely feels different from the version we got last season to this year to that this his year. confidence with athleticism has definitely gone up. Talking to Duncan on people. Didn't Jalen Brown, do the too small sign to uh, Joel Embiid after Duncan. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure we did, right? Hey, I, I don't know what it is with the with the mask, but Jalen was kind of J- Jalen, you know, vigil the the vigilante himself. Jalen Brown was was feeling kind of, you know, he's getting the crowd into it. He talked a little bit about, as you mentioned, the opening. You know, some of the the comments the the Philly crowd was making. So I'm yeah, sure that bullshit, played into bro. it. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely that's. I think to me, like when you're when you're wishing injuries on people, that's that's a different level that that you don't go to. That's to me. And this is where I think some people might differ. Like, if you're saying, you know, F Draymond, like the whole crowd is sharing that. I, I mean, that's that's just kind of like general it's, fan stuff. To you me. go to an England soccer stadium and that's all you hear. That's fine. Yeah, you yeah, know what I, I mean. Like when you're when you're throwing stuff or when you're wishing you when you're chanting for for injuries, injuries or, or, or you know, like the the incident with the the Raptors and KD in the finals where you know they were like applauding when he went down with the injury, like like that stuff's out of bounds for me. You know, obviously yeah. then anything family related, whatever, like personal stuff, like that stuff is 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 off limits. But I think Jalen was embracing that that villain role. You know, as he's walking off the court last night, he's asking for the Philly fans to give it to him. You know, he's he's looking for that. And so I don't know if maybe this is just. An all you know a, a a different persona that we have now with the mass vigilante himself, Jalen Brown. Yeah, I'm just saying that you know, when you're flexing on Embiid, telling Embiid he's too small, like you're in your you're in your swagger bag. Like, <laughs> yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah, he was but, definitely in his swagger bag last night. Yeah, you're in your bag of swagger, your swaggerdocious, braggadocious, <laughs> however you want to put it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm there for it. Like this season for me, at this point where I kind of, I've got to the point where I kind of know what they're going to run. Like, you know, I'm kind of comfortable with what we're expecting from each guy, whether it's a good, like, and you can kind of easily see whether it's a good game or bad game. Now I'm kind of like, I'm here for the vibes. You know what I'm saying? And like, uh, when Marcus Smart got that fan thrown out, have you seen the video? And have you I, so seen... You mentioned that beginning. I have I have not seen this yet. What, so it looks like, a... there was a Go fan, ahead. like there was a point where Marcus Smart was shooting some free throws and the, the camera cuts to a fan and a fan's got his arms out and he's jawing. And then there's a video that went around social media. It was mainly on Twitter. I'll show you the mm-hmm. link after, actually. Yeah. And Smart and his fan, like at a timeout, must have got into it. And Smart's drawing back at this fan. The fan's drawing back at Smart. Grant Williams comes over, Blake Griffin comes over to try and call it down. You can see Blake Griffin kind of like, all right. And then the guy what, carries what, what on. What quarter was this in? This was like the um, third quarter. So I think it was the second. Second quarter. Okay. I think it was before halftime. Um, but what happens then is like Smart basically says to the ref, like, you got to get him up out of here. It's like, it, it, whatever he said must have been bad enough for Smart to be like, yo, I don't play that. Mm-hmm. He, he got a go. And, um, the security coming, they, they removed him. Courtside seats, dude. Those run for like five grand a piece. Him and his boy got kicked. And uh, you can see, the, but the part, when I send you the link, watch Blake Griffin as the guy's getting escorted out. Blake Griffin is howling with laughter, man. And I'm like, <laughs> to me, that was the best part of the video. I'm like, yo, you obviously spoke out of time. You got checked. You didn't back down. Like, if you got checked and then you're like, do you know what? Yeah. I've had a bit of liquor. I probably said something that was a bit too far. My bad. I'll rein it in. Like you, you could have stayed to see the rest of the game. You know what I mean? But you've probably been checked for what mm-hmm. you've said. And, you know, 
the 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 alcohols made you say whatever it is that you said or you just feel like you're that you're about that life you say what you've said and then the security like you gotta leave and then you just got <laughs> old ass blake griffin in the background howling at you this is the same blake griffin that punched out a coach so he understands what it's like to be on the receiving end of this being escorted away do you uh, know he's he, having a great time this year man it's just blake griffin blake is just, just just living his best life and so you know i was thinking about this hypothetical question now this is Let's 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 play the. I'm not trying to drink anything here, but let's say the Celtics end up getting Banner 18 this year. Blake Griffin yeah. is playing, you know, his his minimal role, but he's playing it well, and he he seems to be having a great, great time. Seems guy. to be a great locker room guy. I mean, I know there was an article a few weeks back where where Joe Mazzulla really leans on Blake and Al as kind of like uh like his council members almost, right? Like they're like almost like a triumvirate inside the locker room to make sure because they're all about the same age, right? I think Blake's 33, 34, Joe Mazzulla's 34, Al's 36. Those are the closest guys, you know, in age. And so it made me start wondering, so hypothetically, if the Celtics win this championship, what do you think is going to be, you know, more of, you know, for for Blake Griffin's personal, um, you know, what he would rank higher when he was at his peak, but they were lose where he was, you know, got up to third in MVP voting. What would he, what would he choose? The season where you were third in MVP voting, but I, I forget where they lost that year. Let's just say the second round or the year that you're a bench warmer and you're being you're you're still contributing minimally to a team that wins a championship. If you had to choose only one of those two seasons, which one do you think a guy like that would choose? Or what would you choose, Adam? If, if I mean, like, seasons? you know me at this point. Like, I think for me, there's a point where that individual accolade doesn't mean as much, right? Like in your twenties, you're one. Of, you're an MVP candidate. It's the bragging rights when like you're out with your boys and that. You're like, bro, I'm, I'm an MVP candidate. You know what I mean? I got you. We're going VIP. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. You know. But Blake's in his thirties now. He's old. A he understands. One of the first things he said when he signed with the Seas was he couldn't believe how professional that locker room is, how enjoyable it is to be a part. I mean, of Malcolm Brogdon said similar. Apparently that locker room's awesome. We got to go hang out in the locker room because it sounds yeah, like I mean, between I'm Brogdon and Blake, it's a good place to be. I'll never forget a tweet from Bobby Manning from um, Celtics blog and CLNS last season where he was like, he forgets how young some of this team is because one of the primary albums that's on in the locker room in the weight room is Watch the Throne. <laughs> and I'm like, just those little things, right? Like, understanding what the vibe is with what music is in the background because the music will change the dynamic it will change like the atmosphere and stuff and like that's an upbeat album as well it's a hella fun album i think blake could choose this season personally i would because i'd be like yo when i look back on my career yeah i was successful as an individual but it was never fun right like we lost. I don't know. Lob City looked like a lot of fun. I know they lost, but like Lob City did look fun. Yeah, but he's losing fun. Or Lose, I mean, losing fun. is still losing at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul's still out here trying. He with, he with Kevin Durant trying to get his ring. Yeah, like I'm no one from. Like, I mean, me personally, I'll be choosing the one where I had fun and I won. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just a really interesting question to think what about because I, I, I honestly I, I don't know because there is part where it's like. You know, I mean, you're going to win this championship, but let's be real. We know how history is judged, right? Like, this is going to be like, uh, you know, Gary Payton got a ring, I think, with the Heat. But when when you're talking about the greatest point guards of all time, you're not going to say Gary Payton was one of the main contributors to that ring, right? So it's not going to count the same way as if he were to, if he would have got one when he was in Seattle. Right. Yeah, but my, and my so it, it, it weighs differently. Like, but 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 so it's 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 just an interesting for me to think about, like. I don't know because because this guy was so was right there. He was first, second team All NBA for so many yeah. years. So do you take one of those seasons and you never win a championship? I mean, luckily he may get the best of both worlds. But you know, but if you just had to choose between one, I think it's a really tough decision. But he seems to be having such a great time, and that's not always the case with guys that are at that peak and then have such a reduced role. But Blake seems to really be embracing it, and you know, is is is, is just being 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 the you know the vibe catalyst in that locker room. I'll, I'll tell you what, next time I record, you, I want to do an all Celtics active, non-attached starting five. So You're going to have to run that by me again. What? <laughs> all Celtics um, active, but yeah. non-attached starting five. What do you mean by non-attached? They're a free agent. Ooh, okay. I think So I you can be any age, you can be active, yep. that you, you know, and there's... 
evidence out there to support the fact that you're actively looking to still play. You know where I, like you've got IT saying like you know mm-hmm. the teams want like so active in the sense that you use there's evidence to say you still want to play. Yeah, and, yeah. You, and then you know you're an ex-Celtic and you're not attached to a team. All okay. Celtics, non-attached starting five. I think that, that sounds like some some grade A off-season material. Yeah, and I'll say next time we record together, dude. We don't know. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't be the off-season, but yeah, I, I feel you on that. We'll we'll definitely we'll definitely fire that one up. I got you. I got you. Uh, anything else you want to hit on before I let everybody get out of here? Nah, I think we're good, man. Here, you know, it's an exciting time right now for the Celtics. I think this upcoming week is just really exciting. You got the Knicks, the Cavs, the Nets, the Knicks again. Like that's a that's a real and actually the Cleveland right after that too. The following week, so this is a real tough stretch of some serious Eastern Conference opponents. And I think Brooklyn, you know, even though it's new look Brooklyn, like that's it, a it's still a lot of really good players. You saw Mikael Bridges drop forty plus points the other night. Like I'm excited to see what that looks like and see how the Celtics respond to these teams that you know as we're trying to see what does Joe Missoula think about the playoffs and what his rotation looks like so I think it's really great that we have a healthy core going into these these set of games here against these other Eastern Conference teams so so that we can really get the idea of of what the Celtics team may look like but that's for this week Adam it's been a pleasure chopping it up with you today man always always good to get back in the saddle Always good, man. Everybody, make sure you go check out Green with Envy. That's Will's podcast with with his boy, his best friend, he, the coach of his podcast, Mr. Greg Manakis. Greg's a legend. Yo, happy belated birthday to our guy, too. Yeah, I shouted him out on WhatsApp, but no one saw that, so I do it again. Happy birthday, Greg, my guy. I've moved my camera as I said it because I got so happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you be at, whether that's on audio, whether it's on video, whether it's on both. You know me, where to find me on socials. We'll catch you again later this week. Peace. Peace. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody that would go with the flow I could sing a different song If I could not hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't let go